1972, the first uh, record came out, Last Days in Time. Um, and I mean, immediately you guys had some of that sound with Time is on Your Side, a great opening cut. And uh, I love the album uh, artwork too. I mean, it was really a very cool looking record. Um, <laughs> that was hilarious because uh, that's when we still, we had Jessica Cleves, Ronnie Laws, Roland Bautista. Ralph Johnson, Verdine, Maurice, me, Philip. And a Japanese artist did that illustration. And people were like, man, dude, man, he's, he's got a, what an imagination. But I had to say one thing. I said, look at my picture. That's really actually life what I was wearing. The <laughs> <laughs> freaking, what do they call that material? Um, shiny, what do they call it? Satin. A real thin satin, yellow with the big diagonal black squares on it, and some reddish pink jeans with the darker reddish patches on it, and a pair of you ready for it? Earth shoes. Uh. So people thought homie had just made that up. I said, <laughs> no, man, I was actually walking around on Earth like that. <laughs> You're carrying some of that Jimi Hendrix influence forward, I think. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because I told you, as soon as I saw him with the headband, that was me every day. And then, and then I even added the, the choker, too. And, and, the, and the man purse. The people say, man, why are you wearing a purse? It's not a purse. It's, it's a man bag, okay? It's, a, <laughs> it's European, like Jerry Seinfeld said. What do they call it? Well, on, that, on the Seinfeld, he, he had one. He said it was European. <laughs> right. You're repeating all over. <laughs> yeah, it's, it had the fringes on it and stuff. But yeah, so anyway, we were well on the way. When that record came out and you actually had a record that got some airplay, it was in stores. How, did that, I mean, were you still just very level-headed about it or were you kind of excited? Are you crazy? <laughs> hey, man, you, you're like, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, That that's, that's when it. You know, it's been so long that you, for, you kind of forget your exact moment and where and when and what and how, but you do remember it was like, holy smoke. I'm on the, I'm on the radio. Yeah, that another milestone and life-changing. Like, wow, to hear yourself on the radio. And then I imagine you were starting to play some bills with some of the other top acts of the day. That must have been exciting too. Oh yeah, I remember. See, in Los Angeles, very much uh, the, the, the truth of that song Dionne Warwick did. Um, there's actually two songs that remind me of that whole experience. Dionne Warwick, and all the stars that never were are pumping gas and the parking cars, do you know the way? That one. And then Sly Stone. Everybody is a star. Mm -hmm. So 1972, I think it was, or 73, nobody or very few people really knew who Earth, Wind & Fire was, even though they had a pretty a pretty good uh, couple of hits, you know, get some good airplay on. Um, I, I know I think about loving you, which uh, featuring Sherry Scott. And come on, a story and dude. What, what's the... They had another one. Was it Fan the Fire? Fan the Fire was it? Yeah. Fan so the Fire was a cool track. The two. Okay. But then we did Last Days and Times. And uh, and then uh, I think that there was two on there that really shot up. Power, which was the... Power, other. yeah. And, and also then, the uh, cover of Where the, the Flowers the, Got. The remake that Philip sang of, of Bread. I want to make it with you. Beautiful song, by the way. But basically... Nobody knew who the heck we were and didn't give a damn. And so I, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm pretty sure I do. I was blown away. So we rehearsed, 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 rehearsed. And we went back east. And I've never been back east. And I learned right away the difference. In New York City, if somebody says they can play the organ, either they can play the mess at that organ or their white coat material. Let me out of there. Um, 
And so we went, we were doing the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Uh, and we were opening for Gladys Knight and the Pips and the Four Tops. So it was Earth, Wind, Fire opening, Four Tops, and then Gladys Knight. And I remember it was wonderful. Of course, Philip was just enthralled with Gladys. I mean, we all were, but you know, he, he, his eyes were like, ooh. And she was like, hey, little boy, we're here to educate. Now I remember talking with them and they were like, you know, this is, things Things are changing, thank God. And they said, we never used to have dressing rooms. There was no dressing rooms for us. And you know, that whole thing, uh, my wife bought me, Louis bought me that whole box set, uh, Burns, whatever his name, the, the whole thing about jazz. That picture up there, the first picture of Miles Davis with this gorgeous white suit on, stand out in front of this club. The next picture of him, the red suit, he's got blood all over it and his lip. The police jacked him up because see, in those days, you, you're playing, you, you take a break. Where, where are you going? And go to the bar. No, 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 no. He's not going to the bar. You go out the back door there and you stand in the alley and when your break is over, we'll come get you. Mm -hmm. So Gladys and, and, and the Pips, you know, were, were educating us. They said, no, th this is good. At least we have dressing rooms because we used to, we didn't used to have dressing rooms and different stuff like that. So it was, it was awesome. So then, you know, this later on that evening, you know, the show starts. We turn down the lights. Ladies and gentlemen, earth, wind, and fire. And walk out. It was 20,000 people shaking those little, remember those little the little wax things we used to buy when we was kids that you buy them and it had Kool-Aid in it and you suck it up. But you know, in the 70s, they had something look like that and they break it, remember? And it would green glow. I mean, glow green. <laughs> and they went and walked out 20,000 people shaking these things. And I was like, was I scared? No. I was like, Nicholson in, in, in the Batman way they go get a load of me. <laughs> and as soon as they heard that kalimba and I hit that A minor nine, it was on and popping. And so that was another milestone. I was like, wow. And uh, But the difference in the crowd was, like I said, in LA at that time, nobody or very few people knew anything about Earth, Wind, Fire. Back East, it was I was like, wow, did yeah. I get big headed? Did I get big? No, I was just like, cool, let's go, let's keep going. <laughs> Take it in stride. That's right. Yeah, that's, so was everyone of the same mind in the band like that, like you were, would you say? I think, I think pretty much, you know, it was really, um, I didn't even graduate high school at that point. Two years ago, praise God, went back to Denver. East High had done Philip a couple years prior. They inducted me into the East High Heritage Hall. And I was just beyond myself. And some of the people that were in that was unbelievable. I'm talking about actors, scientists, just life changers. And this wonderful woman who had thought she was going to retire, Tamala Roan, but she has such a heart for the kids. She went back and she walks the hallway and she encourages them. She, someone actually got them to induct me into that. And when it was over, we went up to the library. The oldest guy that got inducted was 92, God bless him. But the kids were good. They, I mean, we played Shining Star at the dinner the night before. And I tried to tell them, they said, no, we're just going to do it at the dinner, but not the next morning. I'm like, okay. After we did it, the, can you do that for the kids tomorrow? I'm like, can I punch you in your throat? I told you. Anyway, seven o'clock in the morning, we're scurrying around to find a bass player, and we did. But the kids were so well behaved, and they listened uh, to every word that the, the people had to say. And, then, and we were talking and stuff, and then they had food, and then Miss Roan comes up and she hands me this red satchel, and I open it up, and it was my diploma. So I only had six months to go before I would graduate. And my little mom, God bless her, because she felt sorry for my butt because Pops had split. And she knew I loved music. She let me go to Kansas City when I was 
16 or something, 50, to play with Hilliard and Philip and the guys. And so I missed my graduation. And so to get that 50-something years later was like, wow. Wow, that is something else. Uh, so I went off. So where were we at? <laughs> well, uh, we're talking about your so oh, the, yeah, the mindset of the other guys. Yeah, the, and the thing was that was my college, and in my estimation, I earned a master's degree because we got to go all over the world, and we really were. We were like we were like uh, fraternity brothers, whatever. And uh, when I became musical director at age twenty-one. Again, people say, well, man, that must have been really intimidating. I'm like, not at all. You know, I've been a keyboard player all my life and I've been doing music all my life. So it's just, you know, I'm on my natural turf. And I said, even though I wasn't a singer, maybe that's why God gave me this big loud mouth because I could just, no microphone where the, you know, first I would, we would rehearse the guys. I would rehearse, it would just be me, Al and Johnny, guitars, bass, Verdine, Freddie on drums. And we would just rehearse by ourselves for two, three weeks in a small room. Maurice and Philip would be in another room. The horn section would be in another room. And then we'd come together in that same small room and rehearse to get with all together for another two or three weeks, four weeks. Then we'd move to the big stage. And we would do calisthenics and we'd rehearse and Faison would show them the steps. And in the meantime, the guys were working, getting the sound, the lighting, the whole, the whole deal. And uh, and then, like I said, going on the road, uh, people think about limousines. Nah, bro. In the beginning, there were no limousines. We would fly from L.A. to the East Coast. We'd rent three station wagons, and there was nine. That was perfect. Three, three, three. And we'd take turns driving. And, uh, you know, we started off doing a college circuit. It's great. we go to these little colleges and turn them out. And, uh, but after the gig, man, and I'm telling on ourselves, 19 freaking 72, 73, there was three TV channels. Yeah. That was a long time ago, Scott. Yeah. yeah. Right? Three TV channels. You too yeah. young, boy. You don't remember that. Three networks. Three networks. Well, maybe you do remember. So you must have been on the tail end of it. But ABC, NBC, and CBS. Yeah. And so by the time you get back to the room, hey, there is no TV. They had this, they had the thump station members would have the thing with the Indian in the, in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the test pattern. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it was just snow. And so, okay, that's it. So our, our little tape recorders and our headphones was our best friend. And then uh, you're in DuPont, DuPont, North Carolina. There is no restaurants are you not open are you crazy so you're praying to god please let there be a snickers bar and unfortunately a soda in the in the machine out here something and what was funny is maurice was out there trying to be a vegetarian like really dude <laughs> probably get a little bit more nutrients eating some pieces of the rug from the holiday inn and put some water on it than eating their vegetables that have been in the pot for 10 hours so eventually he kind of came around and started eating fish and chicken. And, uh, but yeah, so in the beginning there, no, there was no food. There was no limousines. It was uh, what they call paying dues. Yeah. But all the guys, we were very respectful to each other. I mean, a couple of times, you know, they tried to get on me because I was the youngest one. And I remember one time we were somewhere and like three or four of them tried to throw me in a pool and they couldn't do it. You remember that old thing, thin yet wiry? Yeah, you know I've been lifting B three since I was thirteen, so that you know beating on so that this this is don't let it fool you, <laughs> knock you the hell out at any rate. But then again, they had respect for me definitely when it came to the music. And like I said, not really a singer, but that big mouth, no microphone. Satterfield, you play that G over there, John, play that on it. So they could hear me, and. uh like I said, man, that was my college. Wow. The College of World Music, and I'm not talking about a type of music. <laughs> Traveling the world doing our music. 
so the next the next record I think was I look as a tr transitional record um, the uh, open our eyes because I think the music was still on its way to getting to where it was going to be some of the members were kind of coming in coming out you know um, but there was still some great music on there actually I meant uh, sorry I meant head to the sky right be, yeah, yeah. Exactly. so so you had evil Ronnie Laws left. Jessica was still there, but she was about to leave. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know what? Was it you and I that was talking that I um, had to really think about it? But that album was very organic because we didn't even have horns on any any, any cuts, did we? I think uh, we had uh, was a horn solo on. Was Zanzibar was on there, right? Yeah. So Andrew Andrew is on. Um, he's on some of it. Zanzibar, right? Zanzibar's yes. It closes with Zanzibar. With thirteen, that song is thirteen minutes long, and I know probably at least three minutes of it is the my organ solo. <laughs> is is that record also the first one where you got an official writing credit? I'm looking here, and I see Dunn next to um, Clover. Right. Yes. So that's another milestone. Well, you know what? Actually, I wrote that intro bum, bum, on Head to the Sky. Bum, bum, bum. I should have turned my piano on. Is this thing on? Um, uh, I'm not disappearing on you. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, I wrote that intro. And, um, and also the, the little chords on it. Da, 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 the, 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 what do you call it? The bridge, as it were. And so back in the day, you would go to Tower Records, which was right around the corner from where Maurice and Bernie had that first house. And so you'd go there, you'd buy the album, so you'd rip it open and see your name in print in your big head and all that. And then you'd buy the cassette to take on the road. So I'm sitting in the car, I can't wait to open up. I open up and said, Clover, I can't have it. And said, keep your head to the sky, composed by Maurice White. Oh, but I said, oh, you know, me again, there's more where that came from. And, uh, you know, you just have to per per persevere, as it were. But like I said, you know, you just do the right thing. And like I said, you look later on. The ever wonderful Maurice Wright, Larry Dunn, Spirit, Maurice Wright, Larry Dunn, running and on and on and on. But yeah, that one, you know, it was kind of like, oh shoot. But like I said, it did, you know, you just you go, oh shoot, and then like you said, you keep it moving. But yeah, that yeah, but but I'm talking about horns. We didn't have a horn section. There was no horn section stuff on there. Yeah, that I can remember, right? Name the songs for me, and I'll tell you. Uh, Evil, Keep Your Head to the Sky, Build Your Nest. Build Your Nest was a good one. The World's a Masquerade. Yeah, my clavinet. What? My clavinet. Oh, yeah, it's badass on that. Yes, okay. Uh, Build Your what else? Uh, the World's a Masquerade. Skip Scarborough, wow. Clover and uh, Zanzibar. Now, was there... Was there horns and strings on Masquerade or not? We have to listen to that. Yeah, it's been a while since I played that one. Huh? It's been a while since I played that one. Yeah, me three. I'm trying to think. I think there might have been. We need to we need to pull that up and see. Yeah, I'll have to check it out after our talk here. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, but there I mean, especially but there was no popping horns on like you know probably would have been nice on billionaires but it, the thing that like i said it was nice about that is that and i didn't think about that until you brought it up the other day that that was a very organic uh type of thing almost like a un, unplugged a little bit no not quite unplugged for the ewf brand because there wasn't the the horn section and it wasn't the uh uh big production mm-hmm that was all about to change. Say <laughs> what? That was all about to change. Oh, big time. Yeah. 
So I kind of skipped before, but I mean, open our eyes. That to me was the first, I mean, golden era, Earth, Wind and Fire. That one was, I mean, from beginning to end, was just solid. And I mean, it had that new sound. And I mean, what do you, you guys went back to Colorado to make that. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Oh, lovely, lovely. You know, got to see mom and the family for a hot second. My buddy Harold Lee, saxophone player that I grew up with, picked me up. I'll never forget it. And drove me up there and it started, you know, snowing and in a winter wonderland. It was just off the chain. And we get up there and I, you've never, never seen anything like that. Jim Gersio, Chicago's ranch. And each of us had our own cabin with bear rugs on the floor, brass gold beds, color TVs, 74, really? Uh, my mom didn't even have a color TV in her house that I bought for them when I was 19. Or was that later? Anyway, I digress. But yeah, and then they had the mess hall where we'd go eat. And they had a tall dude that cooked, and everybody, they called him Mama, because he not nothing derived, because he was a cooking mother figure. Mm. And you know we had such great dinners and evening. And then, you know, everybody one by one, whenever you got up, whatever you go in there and ask, tell him what you want for breakfast, bam. And then, you know, hey, I do, we go down to the studio and just wear it out. I remember that, that, that sure beats scrounging for a Snickers bar. See, see if you just hang in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember that they called me like, Larry, uh, Maurice and, and Steph, they, 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 they need you down there. So I went down there and Steph had, he's the one that turned me on to the to the mini move, which actually became my voice. Uh, I would, after it, you know, he showed that to me and I started, he used it and I, I bought one and I would take it to my room every night with the animal case, probably weighed more than I did. But I didn't care. No effects on it. And just headphones and me all night. Uh, so anyway, they called me and said, uh, ready for me to do my solo on Feeling Blue. And Steph had put together that beautiful sound, kind of almost uh, trombone, trumpet attackish with the 16 lower octave and then uh, double on the eights to get the detune. And then Massenberg put the, the reverb on it. And I'm like, in the delay, I'm like, ready? Let's go. I, I'm pretty sure I did pretty, pretty, I did one take. Like, I, I think I could do it. They're like, Larry, bye-bye. <laughs> and then man, when I listened to it, and to this day, it's like, Wow. All righty then. Yeah. You guys are definitely tapping to something special on that record. And it's the first one where Stepney and, and, and also Maurice got a production credit. So, I mean, that was a significant change right there, right? I didn't even pay attention to that. Edumacate me. <laughs> wow. Really? So they didn't. So who had production credit on Head to the Sky? It was. Um, Joe Wisser. What? What'd you say? Joe Wisser. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. That record. Records companies. <laughs> yeah. We well, were talking about that. Why Prince walked around with that slave on his jaw. Yeah. But we were talking last time about that book, Hitman, too, and. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's a, a readily available. I, I who wrote that book? Did you find it? Uh, I'll tell you next time. But yeah. Um. So, besides, um, you know that track. I mean, that album had "Mighty Mighty," which was a hit. Devotion, oh, yeah. devotion, which became uh, really. Some special on the on the gratitude later, um, fair but so uncool. Kalimba story, which made Kalimba so widely known to, to you know such a bigger market for that instrument, and um, a song uh, 
T9G bit. I don't know T9 what that means G-bit. or what that is, but. Was that on that album? It sure was. It's like a greatest hits, man. I, I was thinking about the one that was on Ramsey's album. It was something similar to that because I think Johnny Graham also played on that. Because that one, that particular one, Johnny Graham, I mean, I think Al played too, but I think Johnny did the solo on that, right? But yeah. let's talk about Mighty Mighty. Mighty Mighty was a big, big single. But it would have been bigger if it wasn't for nonsense. And that nonsense still goes on today. I remember talking to Maurice and he wasn't happy. He said, man, what's going on? Because it was just taking off like a rocket. And then all of a sudden it was like the kibosh. He said, yeah, man, a lot of the pop stations and stuff, they, they won't, they're not, they've stopped playing. They won't play it. And I said, what? He said, yeah, because they said it's, it's you know, racist. I said, what? Yeah, he said, because we put, yeah, he said, I put in there, we are people of the mighty, mighty people of the sun. He said, no, I don't know about you or anybody, but the last time I checked, the sun shines on all of us. I said, correct. And like Lewis Satterfield used to say, don't let what you think. Now, you didn't say mess, but you get my, don't. Don't let what you think mess up what's really happening. And that was really screwed up that a lot of people put the kibosh on that because of what they thought and what they thought was wrong. Because, you know, Maurice was always a very ethereal and, you know, deep thinker and all kind of different stuff. And like he said, you know, that, that, that's what they think because we're a, a, a black group that we're saying that we are, we are mighty people of the sun. He said, hey, Last time I checked, the sun shines on everybody. It's just so crazy. I mean, I would never even have entered my mind. Right. Of course, because you're not that guy. Yeah. But see, you know, that that's what is. It's so sad that, you know, some people that are not people of color will say, you know, I always play in the, why you always got to play the race card and feminine. So you, you never, you never got that. You just don't get it. And like I said, I was very blessed, you know, and some people, man, that's messed up, you know, you're Oreo, what the, shut the fudge up. Mm-hmm. But the deal is, when my pops had split and mom had to get, because she was a housewife with five kids. Now, at this point, four, because my older brother was married, not the house, but he, uh, I mean, she got a job at this place downtown called New, Newsteaders. It was equivalent of a... Uh, uh much much smaller nordstrom or something like that and my baby brother my two baby sisters every once in a while would go up there to see her and they'd get in there and then where, where are you going what are you doing where, where are you going we're here to see our mom where is she she's on the fourth floor we don't have any black women that work on the fourth floor and like it's at that point you wish it could be like the cartoon where the little baby just grows up to be Godzilla and stomps on somebody. <laughs> but this, like I said, you know, it's a new day, brother. No, it's not a new day. The only thing that's changed throughout history is technology. The heart of man is still the same. And the only thing that has the, the power to change the heart of a human being is God Almighty. Before that can happen, the human being in question has to have a certain amount of humility. Nowadays, so many people are not only content in their ignorance, They've added a huge side order of arrogance to go with it. And yeah, not because just... God can't, but God won't touch that because it doesn't want robots. But and I digress. But yeah, that's really people. We could definitely do an entire other show on that because I have very passionate feelings about it too, Larry. Um, I was just curious. So when you're talking, you know, by chance was like Frank O'Hara somebody that you kind of like looked up to just because of his background? Yeah, you know, yes and no, because I was never a big sports guy. I mean, you know, of course you're proud. Yeah, he's he's Italian and black. Yeah, of course. You know, but like I said, I just, I realized at a very, very young age that that, that's so stupid, you know. And and actually, I could tell my grandmother, both my grandmothers were brilliant and beautiful and so supportive. Um, The one on my dad's side, my black grandmother was just so, she 
you're, you're, you're a genius. And so I am you. Just amazing lady. And on my mom's side, my Italian grandmother, you could, I could see her almost kind of bending over backwards to cater to us more so than some of the all full Italians because she already had enough wisdom to know that we might have to go through some sugar honey iced tea. And actually my mom even told me that they already knew about prejudice and experiences because on the Durando farm, some of the Caucasians farms around it would make sure told their daughters don't walk in front of that farm because they were scared to death that one of their daughters might end up marrying a wop huh? without papers. Ooh. Uh, uh, a Dago, uh, an Italian. So, man, like I said, man, there's it, nothing new under the sun. And that's why it was a beautiful thing that music is a universal language. And that even Andrew Wolfwick and I were talking one time that, you know, some of these fathers and stuff, you know, and for, of course, and that's their mindset. They don't get it. This is just skin. But uh, we're not happy with that their teenage daughters had that great big five by eight, whatever it was, five by four poster of Earth, Wind & Fire, nine original members in their bedroom. Absolutely. I lived through that in the 70s. And, you know, I mean, just being a, a white guy who was very much into that culture, into the music, I mean, I got persecuted by both sides. It was it was so ugly. And I just, I really thought by now it would be better. And we had seen <clears throat> things getting better, but now we're taking steps back. It's just very disheartening. Like I said, if the, like I said, that neighborhood that I was raised in was golden. You know, we had very dark skinned family next door and they were uh, mother, father, two daughters, brilliant people. And then uh, next door, on the other side, it was it was a, felt sorry for the white guy was married to a black woman and she was toe up drunk every day and he had to deal with that. But outside of that, the next door to them, there was a Hispanic family over here on the other side, next door to the other door was Asians, uh, across the street was a white lady I took the piano lessons from, and we all got along. And that's, 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 if we're so evolved, how come the neighborhoods today are the opposite? Of course, not all of them, but, you know. I mean, the neighborhoods today, uh, people of the same color, the same everything are fighting with each other. It's like there's anger, so much anger and hatred, and, and everybody's on edge. That's why you need that music, boy. That's oh. why you need that music. Hell Yes. Like they say, like they say in North Carolina, say I'd rather fart and poop you. I'd fart, fart and fool you than to poop you. <laughs> there it is. That's the way of the world. Yeah. So I became aware, really aware, deeply aware of Earth Went Fire with open our eyes. But this one, I mean, what a masterpiece. Um Yeah. Well, like I said, for me, there are certain milestones. Of course, last days and times, because that's the first. Then everything's good. And then that's the way of the world. Through, 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 through the roof, Alice. Uh, <laughs> I remember my, my best buddy, Michael Hudson, I grew up with in Denver. Just lived across the alley from me since we were two years old. Uh, I got my attorney buddy that we grew up since we were five years old. But me and Michael, two years old. And he left Denver uh, when I was about maybe 15 or so, 14, 15, 16. And it was sad, you know. And then, anyway, he ended up in, in Los Angeles. His mother was a teacher. And I remember him when that came out. He's like, man, Larry, you know, we're uh, taking a trip up north or something. And every rest stop that we stopped at, everybody was playing that's the way of the world. The white people, the Hispanic people, Asians, everybody, black people, everybody was playing it, man. I'm like, I, I turn into barely white, right on, right on. <laughs> I ain't mad at you. But Shining Star, I mean, to me, that was, I mean, it's one of the great tracks of all time, as far as I'm concerned, especially, you know, as far as the funk ones go. It's just, um, it was so unique sounding at that time when it came out with that guitar part and all that was going on, and it was in such a, a tight, consolidated package, and it had so much power. It was just unreal. Off the chain. Um, Chris Brunt, my engineer, I call him mine, was born in Nottingham, England. And he was a physicist, also played baritone sax, slept that around on the trains in London. So he knew what it was to be a musician. Like I said, genius physicist, 
pilot, and now he's a pilot, um, came out here, uh, worked with Stevie, worked with Quincy Jones, worked with Brothers Johnsons on and on, and in every project I've ever done, from my first Caldera to Ramsey Lewis, everything, all the way through to Into the Journey, on and on, Lenny White, Stanley Turrentine, you name it, Level 42. And he told me the story the first time him, he was working with Quincy and he said, they, Quincy went and bought Shiny Star and him and Quincy would sit in the studio and, and did dissect it for a few days. Wow, wow, wow. And then, uh, and he's the one that told me after the fact, what I'm getting ready to tell you, you never know who's listening to you. I did a gig a couple of years ago out in the Marina Del Rey, Larry Dunn's, the Larry Dunn Orchestra. And we were doing, you know, Anthology of Earth, Wind and Fire. We didn't call it that then. Sheldon was with us, it's Elements of Fire. And uh, our good friend, Ebony Brown, that works at KJLH, Stevie's uh, radio station. Great singer as well. And we've known her for years. She's got a real high talking voice. I'm like, well, Larry, Stevie, wanna, he wants to come and see what Uncle Larry's doing. I said, hey, please. She said, what do I mean more coming from you? I'm like, what am I, what? She said, well, you, you have his number? I'm like, no, I don't. So she gives it to me as I call him. And he didn't answer. But anyway, so I left the message with her. I left him a message. And lo and behold, he showed up that night. It was my wife's birthday as well. So she's singing with us. And one of our singers arbitrarily broke out with happy birthday to, to Louisa. And people must have thought I had lost my mind because I just started yelling at the top of my lungs. And you know, you can tell I got a big mouth. Stop! And everybody's looking. I said, P, that's the singer. I say, man, no disrespect. But I think a young man who just walked in the house right now should be singing that. And like Louisa said, she's hilarious. It was like partner red seat. People were getting out of the way to get let Stevie through, and he comes up gets on the stage and he's kind of holding her hand and looking at her, sings that. And then he said, we well, you know when I first came up here, Larry was preaching about marriage and stuff. So I want to give, give it to the keyboard. So he sits down and he dedicates this to Larry and Lula. He went into overjoy. Excuse me. I slapped him so hard. That's my favorite. What am that, I doing? That's, that's our so wedding anyway, song. After that was over, he said, Larry, I want to do Shiny Star. I said, Stevie, we, we already did it featuring Brian Culbertson on a trombone song. He said, I don't care. He said, I don't even know the lyrics. I said, hit it. So we do it. When it was over, he blew my mind all the way out and off and up. He said, you know, I, I never forget the first time. He, at first he started on a thing and it didn't get to finish because it was packed. My manager on a Thursday said, you're going to, you better start giving ticks away because you're not going to sell this out. I said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on God. Then so they had enough people in there to make a Tarzan movie. Yeah, like I said, the only thing that would have been bad if the fire department came, they'd have shut it down. And it was hot as hell. Anyway, he said, he started, he said, man, I'm just saying, I'm thinking about when Maurice White met, met, met this little Larry die. I mean, I don't think that, ah, that's good. And finally, he, there was, he changed directions. He goes, but anyway, he said, I'll just say this. I'll never forget the first time I heard Shining Star. I went right home and I wrote this. Freaking kidding me. And my band knew it, the horn section knew it, and people later on on it. Now, how many days did you rehearse with Steve? I said, I'll punch you in your throat. We barely have three days for ourselves. I said, but my musicians are that that's the level they're on. But I mean, really, and that, that's when Chris Brunt told me when I told him, I said, so you never know who's listening to you. But yeah, so yeah, I concur about the shining star. Yeah, and uh, Al McKay played on that. I guess I just saw earlier today, it's his birthday today, so. Right, yeah, I, I wrote <laughs> When it. we're taping this. Louisa wrote a happy birthday, Al. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would you contrast, you know, Al's style and Johnny Graham's styles? Well, Al is the consummate rhythm master. Uh, you know, Al actually was great. Al knew more about the business than me and Philip and, you know, the young guys. And he had already played with uh, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Watts 100th Street Rhythm Band, uh, you know, 
different people, Ike Tina Turner, whatever. And then he had a newspaper clipping that actually said, James, in huge print, James Brown declares Al McKay funkiest guitarist ever. <laughs> and so, like I said, when, when Roland Bautista came back, because Roland was there first, and, and him and Ronnie kind of didn't, they weren't trusting Maurice or whatever, so they pulled out. And so we went through different stuff and they ended up, first we had, I think first we had Al, then we had Johnny, and then we ended up with both. But, uh, and like I said, when Roland came back, I was still happy, because Roland did a ton of stuff with me and my wife and we were doing Japanese commercials and stuff like that. Excellent player. And actually he should have got some credit, him and Ronnie on that power that was Roland just stroking his thing, doing his, what he do, what he does, <laughs> what he do do. And um, and Ronnie did the melody. But so anyway, when we brought Roland back after Al had quit, uh, in the studio, so that see with Al, you would you would never have to say anything with Roland because he had so much energy. Where Roland would give you a like a machine gun. I like saw your role player. <laughs> but with McKay, you never had to say nothing. Al just laid, Al knows. You know. But I said they're both pocket, gorgeous, right? gorgeous players, no matter what. But always uh, in the pocket with, with Al McKay, right? Yeah, Al was the pocket guy. And and and, and so now Johnny, Johnny is the consummate blues player. Mm-hmm. You know. He is a, you know, he's from Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, I remember there's, I think you might have been on that Hendrix tribute record that Johnny also was on uh, some years ago. Did you, did you work on that too? Uh, I played, cause I mean, that's when uh, Sheldon was married to J.D. Hendrix. And I played on, I, they flew me out and I, you know, I played on that show. But I don't think I was on the record. Who did the record? It was like a compilation. It had some P Funk guys, and it had uh, Johnny Graham was on there. And oh, that must have been a different. That was a different project then, because the one I did was uh, with J- uh, Janie Hendrix. You know, uh, uh, that was uh, Jimmy's half sister. Yeah, she's Japanese. I'm half Japanese and half black. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that actually controls the the, the legacy. So her and, and Sheldon was married to her at that time. So they put together that Hendrix tribute thing. And they had, uh, uh, what's his name? Al, what's his name? Uh, the older guys who played with the, like Hendrix and blues players and stuff like that. Another young black kid that was really coming up in the blues. I can't remember their name now. It was like 15 years ago. Let's talk some more about this incredible record. So, you know, even from a keyboard perspective, I mean, some really just memorable hooks that you had on there with, you know, piano and the, the sense and the uh, see the light, yearning, learning. Um, was yearning, learning on that one too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Reasons. That's funny. On, on the gold out, you can only read one side. So reasons, you know. I mean, it's just happy feeling. Oh well, yeah. So yeah, I wrote on happy feeling. I wrote all about love, me and Maurice. I wrote um, what do they call it? Uh, yeah, see the light was me and Philip. And then, and then, like I said, he brought in a girlfriend of ours from Colorado to help him finish up the lyric. But I did the music on. The music and the first part of the, the verse on uh, See the Light, but I wrote all the music and then you know, uh, Mr. Stepney put that arrangement on and I was two through. So when you're making a record like like that one, I mean, what was, you, you were kind of in your sort of clicks, it sounded like when you were working on stuff with certain people and Philip and Maurice were off doing their thing and, and the horns maybe were doing their thing or whatever. When you guys came together, what was it like? What was Maurice like in the studio? Was he quiet? Was he um, a taskmaster? What was he like? Well, like I'm saying, you know, the, the only, Chris Brunner said, the only rule with music and actually anything, the only rule is there ain't no rules. 
like I said, of certain stuff, see the light, I already had that. And then Philip came in and, you know, worked on the, the lyrics and some of the, the melody. And that was that. And we cut it, you know, cut the basic tracks, whatever. Some of the stuff like Shining Star, we kind of put that together in the studio. Um, like I said, the only rule is there ain't no rule. And like I said, with Charles Stepney, Charles Stepney was just an, an unbelievable because he was a great keyboard player and arranger and producer. Uh, like I said, when we were really young, a couple of them tunes, we got to sit down to play. I think it was only one or two times it happened. And Stepney actually would bump my butt off with his butt. He'd give you time and then, man, move out the way. And he wouldn't call Maurice Maurice. He called him Rooney. Oh, yeah. I saw so that Ralph, in the book. Ralph yeah. Johnson was out there on, in the studio on the drum. Played a couple of things. And Charles pressed the talk back. Rooney. Hey, hey, Ralph, man, get your butt in here. Rooney, man. Uh, you, you get. I want you to play this one. So that that was some stuff when it was uh, Maurice was in there and Stephanie and us. And uh, yeah, okay. Well, so Maurice was kind of like a, I'm thinking he was sort of like an older brother figure in a way to some of you guys. But then, Char but then Charles was, was kind of like even above that and sort of like yeah. an older brother to Maurice. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then when, I remember one time Charles was not real happy because uh, one of those things was said, produced by Maurice White, co-produced by Charles Stephanie. Charles Stepney said, man, Larry, he said, tell me something, man. What the F is a co-producer? Huh? You got two grown men in the studio. They're both producing. What the F is a co-producer? I'm like, okay, he's not happy today. But, you know, it's like the Earth, Wind, and Fire legacy is so deep. And I would say blessed and anointed to go on that long. Because, hey, man, you see people today, some places like divorce court. Am I to understand you two have been married for a total of four months? <laughs> you serious? And I tell people, having a band is very much like, and it's, it's a marriage. Times what? Times whoever, how many people you got in there? And so there must be some really good patient, um, understanding people to to have dealt with it like that, with that when you got that many people. And especially like I said, when something's that big, it would be people who get it. Like, that's why I don't know. And that's why you don't have a lot of great bands today because we live in a, in a day of uh, self-centered. What about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? You know, and, and, and you can't do you can't do that. You know, even you know that in your marriage. Well, you today, hey, I got to answer to my wife. Right. <laughs> and that but that's the way it's supposed to be, because it is give and take, not take, take, take. And that's why a lot of bands, they don't last hardly at all, because this guy wants to be that guy. And this guy wants to be big. What about me? Well, no, screw you. Some people don't realize, especially if they're not big fans um, or serious fans, is that this was a soundtrack, you know, to a, a sort of little scene film, especially at the time. And uh, I think I think I read in the book that um, I don't know if it was Maurice's decision not to have soundtrack on there, but um, I guess that kind of paid off in the long run. Yeah, because the, the movie was kind of, oh, boy. <laughs> the movie was so-so. But uh, the same thing with Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The movie was so-so. But it really, you know, the people that really propelled was the Bee Gees, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And, and uh, there was a nice track uh, Arrow, Arrow, Aerosmith did. Yeah, they did Come Together. But yeah, but Maurice and I, we, we tore it up. We got to get you to my life. Took yeah. us about 35 minutes to do that arrangement. <laughs> Did the gig that night, got on an airplane and flew to Colorado and cut it the next day. Wow. Sometimes the quickest things are magic. Oh, absolutely. You know, because we were, uh, 
talking about it. And then we flew there and did it in like two days, everything. And Maurice came to me and said, man, I don't get it. That got to be the biggest fluke, man. Jump straight to number one. I, I, I said, Reese, you don't get it. I said, that's real earth, wind, and fire. That's the cats that have been on the road together every day, on the road for years now, playing live every night and, and doing the records. That's earth, wind, and fire. You didn't have time or, you know, you didn't have a privy to another 18 horn players in, in Los Angeles or strings and, and time for you to sit there and keep mixing and remixing. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know what I'm saying? So you had to get it done and we got it done, put it out. I said, that was real earth with fire. I said, that was not a fluke. Because mm -hmm. I think at that time, like I said, I love all the albums. Well, most. I did not love uh, Electric Universe. I mean, like I told Maurice when I took it home the final night and listened, came back and I had to tell him, I said, man, good music it is. Earth, Wind, and Fire, it ain't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, could, I could tell you, yeah, that look worse than you. He like, he wasn't happy about that. <laughs> but I mean, it was true. I mean, no, no horns, no Phoenix horns, come on. Now that was okay when we were building, when, like I said, when we are doing Head to the Sky. You know, we're this far into the game, not, not so much. And I, I, I know, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, later on, he, he got that. You know, because a lot of, lot of Earth, Wind & Fire fans were like, huh? Oh, yeah. But, you know, in, in his defense, <laughs> hey, man, when you're a part and, and a visionary of something that that's big, that big, you know, you figure. And then sometimes when the record company is not all, not because they're not all that, because they don't want to be all that with you. Because, you know, we, I know you've heard it, that old adage, you're only as good as your last record, mm -hmm. okay? You're only as good as your last especially, record. Especially by the so, time the 80s came around. Right, right. So he, you know, I don't blame him for trying to reach out and, you know, be be different, try something. And just, hey, I mean, but the man did a, a, a heaven of a legacy. 